warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia podcast, a very British movie about very British. No, I'll start again. <laughs> welcome to the stinking. Yeah, welcome to. Oh, bugger. Welcome to the stinking valley. <laughs> <laughs> what a mashup that would be. Um, <laughs> Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. And if you've heard what I just said about two seconds before, it was totally unprofessional. Good morning, Stephen. Hello, mate. <laughs> so yes. many, so many podcasts that we we're involved in now. I get totally confused what I'm doing, who I'm talking to, and what we're actually recording. Yeah, but it is the, the real pretend. Stinking Valley sounds like a really good podcast. It's, to be oh, it's one of my favourites. The Stinking Valley. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The Rainbow yeah. Pools. Um, how, how devil are you? I'm okay, thank you very much, mate. How are you? Good, good. Apart from that, yeah, little faux pas. Um, <laughs> at the point of recording, um, we, we're not going to make any sort of like, you know, deceit about this. We're recording mid-September. This is our Halloween episode, so we're trying to get into the spirit of, of all things scary in October. Um, and also at the point of recording this particular episode, the Excalibur episode, went out yesterday which was the first one that you were involved in. Um, yes. Lots of very good feedback, sir. So please, please stay. You, are, you know, you've passed the test with flying colours by the look well, of it. Well, I was, you know, I was hoping that would happen, that it would come out and it, it wouldn't be a, sorry, it turned out that people just don't like you, so we're going to have to let you go. Despite the fact yeah. that we've got three other episodes in the bank, you know, what the heck. Yeah, yeah. We'll, just, we'll just dub you over with yeah. somebody else. Uh, yeah, if I change no, the pitch. I'm, I'm yeah. very grateful for, for those that have fed back. Um, obviously, um, as I know from other podcasts and you know from yourself that um, podcasting can be quite a lonely business. You feel like you're shouting into the void. So, yes. Um, any little bits of feedback, even though you might have download numbers, actually somebody feeding back. Is worth um, 10 is, downloads, is, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's worth loads. So um, thank you to all the people who have um feedback um and particularly the ones that have um not been disparaging <laughs> just about to say me, yeah so. the positive ones are great yeah um and i think we've also picked up a couple of new listeners from it as well so which is great because when you think of the movie itself excalibur um as we were saying at the time at the time it was a massive movie but we seem to think it's it's fallen by the wayside a bit over the last sort of 20 years or so it's, it's one of those forgotten British yeah. gems, isn't it? You know, but there's a lot of love out there for it, which which is surprising. Yeah, I mean, I think there there is a you know, as we said, there's a lot of people who have springboarded into um, the actual whole fantasy and um, realm, of, you know, in various ways, whether they went into you know playing Dungeons and Dragons or whether they went into actually writing 
um, novels of, of a fantasy nature yes. and stuff. Yeah. Um, that that all um, sort of it was a springboard as well as it being a, a, an actual film that has um, a, a stakehold in the history of films in Britain. And yes, I think it has been forgotten by people in the modern generation, mm. but people who were around at the time, I think they go, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was a, Yeah, there's a lot of affection for it. And as you say, it was like the gateway drug for all of those fantasy yeah. <laughs> sort of sword and sorcery stuff that followed it, which which we mentioned in the episode that, you know, it was about the same time as we mentioned, as Time Bandits and Conan the Barbarian. And, yeah. And it just led to a whole... And, and for us, at that particular age, us being similar ages, early teenage years, it, it was just manna from heaven for us, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, that sort of movie. It was just exactly feeding into what we wanted to watch. And that's and that wasn't just because of seeing Helen Moen's breast. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it, it, it was. I mean, it was just what you'd grown up... You know, you'd grown up with the... You, playing uh, being knights on and and all this kind of stuff and suddenly this was it put into actual life on a screen that people in the the sort of elaborate armor with sword battles and sorcery and just castles and it suddenly brought it all to life all these sort of childhood games and imaginations that you'd had from from storybooks so it was it was was iconic and and well deserved as a um as a pick for the um, show, yeah. I've just realised I've said that and realised that partway through that sentence that mm. um, it was my pick. It was yours, so well done, I, I well done, you. I was, being, I was being complimentary. I thought, I thought I was being complimentary to you, and then realised, oh, hang on, it was me who picked it. Yeah, well done, you. Well, well done, done me. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I said before, I'm going to put it in my diary that it's one of the, one of the times I got things right. Yes. So. Yeah. Let's see if I can get it right today. It's it's a Halloween episode, but. We don't want to jump into the realms of Hammer Horror at the moment. We've got some plans for Hammer Horror on the back burner. We have. We have. Um, and, and once we finalised how we're going to do that, there will be an announcement as to what we're going to do with the horror side of things. But in a similar vein, because hopefully, if the timing's right, this episode should go out round about the end of October. I've selected something that's in, in a similar vein to the 70s Hammer Horrors, but... Definitely very tongue-in-cheek, definitely very hammy. It's Theatre of Blood, starring Vincent Price. Hold tight, ladies and gents, we'll be back after this. Between 1969 and 1984... The celebrated American actor, Vincent Price, appeared in several British or British-American co-productions on the big screen. Prior to this, of course, he was best known as the king of the B-horror movie genre, and even further back, the star of numerous comedies, dramas and film noir. When you mention the name Vincent Price, most of us will recall his appearances in The House on Haunted Hill, The Fly or House of Wax. Others may remember him as Shelby Carpenter in Otto Preminger's Laura, or as Russell Quinton in Lever to Heaven, both starring Gene Tierney. Some may recollect fondly the incredible performances in the big screen adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's Pit and the Pendulum, House of Usher and The Raven. And of course, 
some of us of a certain age look back fondly at his appearance on Michael Jackson's Thriller album, or become misty-eyed as we think back to the fitting swan song that is Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. And one thing is for certain, as Price's career progressed, he appeared to never take himself too seriously. Selecting roles where he could be able to enjoy himself a little and perhaps give us a taste of some overdramatic nonsense that usually had its tongue planted firmly in its cheek. Throughout this 15-year period, Price would of course appear in many Hollywood productions, but his daughter would recall in her biography of him that he was a true fan of Britain and British culture. And perhaps this is why he would find himself again and again being tempted to appear in these UK productions. The first notable movie in this period was released in 1968. Witchfinder General, directed by Michael Reeves, also stars Ian Ogilvy and Hilary Dwyer. Not a Hammer production, as some people think, but a co-production of Tygon British Film Productions and American International Pictures. The film tells the story of the heavily fictionalised murderous witch-hunting exploits of Matthew Hopkins, a 17th century lawyer who claimed to have been appointed Witchfinder General by Parliament during the English Civil War. Despite several cuts to the British release, it was met with disgust by several film critics, turned off by the scenes of intense torture and violence. In the US, where the film was released virtually untouched, it was a box office smash, but was almost completely ignored by the reviewers. Now considered something of a cult classic, it was named the 15th greatest horror film of all time by Total Film in 2005. With the tranquility of rural England shattered by civil war, evil was spawned at a time of strife in the land. Take him, Stern. Look for the devil's marks upon him. Run. Pounding the innocent in violence and terror, this evil man showed no mercy in the pursuit and interrogation of his victims. He was called the Witch Finder General. And amidst the horror of the witch hunt, a story of tender young love. Didn't your uncle just say you must early to bed? He did. And isn't he a wise man? He is. But even their innocence is cruelly corrupted by the vile touch of the Witch Finder General. My motive in coming here was to find the truth. Vincent Price is the Witchfinder General. Lust and greed were his only gods. The money from the magistrate. Nine guineas in silver. Good. Now we can leave. Ian Ogilvy as Richard Marshall. He stood alone against the forces of devilish destruction. And it is in thy sight, O Lord. That I hereby swear. I shall not rest from the pursuit of his murderers. Till they stand before thee, ready to answer to thee for their sins. Rupert Davies as John Lowe's. Master Marshall, welcome. Patrick Weimark as Oliver Cromwell. Amongst the most pleasurable aspects of victory, gentlemen, 
is the opportunity it affords to reward valour. It ranks almost with good food. And Wilfred Bramble. And uh, what line of business might you be in? God's business. Which finding? Which finding? Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. And introducing Hilary Dwyer as Sarah. Filmed in authentic detail and photographed with piercing realism against the actual background of peaceful villages and quiet countryside. Never has England looked so beautiful, yet been so violent. I'm your man friend. John Stern, they call me. Man's inhumanity to man portrayed on the screen so vividly that you flinch. So real that you too will fear the witch finder general. to see it, be the first to talk about it. The Witch Finder General. In the same year, Price would appear for the first time in a movie with British horror legend Christopher Lee. The Oblong Box was directed by Gordon Hessler and tells the story of Sir Edward Markham, played by Alistair Williamson, who, after being horribly disfigured by African natives, is kept chained and out of sight by his brother Julian, played here by Vincent Price. When Sir Edward escapes, he goes on a killing spree in a desperate attempt to get even with the society that has made him a monstrous outcast. Julian enlists the help of African witch doctor Ngalo, played by Harry Baird, for medicine to make Sir Edward appear dead so he can be evicted from the house. Dr. Newhart, played by Christopher Lee, attempts to help the hideous human. The movie contains plenty of female corpses to drip rivers of fresh hot blood in this feature, which was the 13th Edgar Allan Poe story no less in which Price appeared. My brother Edward has died. Where is he going to be buried? As soon as you've found another body. Do you realise the penalty for body snatching is hanging? You're a forger and an embezzler, and now you're going to become a body snatcher. To assist you in your experiments. Waking up in that horrible oblong box, no air to breathe, every shovelful raining down on the lid, God, Trench, do you know what that means? It means that my brother was buried alive. The following year, 1970, Vincent Price would team up again with Christopher Lee, as well as Peter Cushing, for Scream and Scream Again, directed by Gordon Hessler. More science fiction than horror, with most of the violence being quite understated or off-screen. And despite the remarkable trio of legendary horror actors appearing in the movie, Vincent Price and Christopher Lee only share a brief scene towards the end of the film, and Cushing shares no screen time at all with either Price or Lee. She has never really existed yet. You see, she's been assembled piece by piece, organ by organ. She's a composite, like Keith. Keith? Yes, you remember the so-called vampire killer. 
In the same year, yet another Gordon Hessler directed outing for Price with Cry of the Banshee. With a title credit sequence animated by Terry Gilliam, Vincent Price plays another witch hunter. It is set in Elizabethan England and tells the story of the wicked lord who massacres nearly all the members of a coven of witches. The witch's leader, the evil Una, summons up a magical servant, the Banshee, to exact revenge and destroy the lord's family. the beast the corpse will ride who cries the cry that kills when satan questioned who replied whence blows this wind that chills what if there is a power that we know nothing of new depths of terror. Vincent Price reaches new heights of horror. H is for heretic. I know nothing of witchcraft. We can make you die a minute every day for a year. I will kill as many of you as I need to. I curse Lord Edward Whitman. I curse his flesh, his blood. I conjure you, Lord Satan. Send me an avenger. Whence blows this wind that chills? What answers when the banshee cries? And kills, and kills, and kills. Nineteen seventy one and nineteen seventy two would bring us Vincent Price's legendary creation of Dr. Fibes. In the abominable Dr. Fibes and Dr. Fibes Rises Again. Personally, two of my favourite Vincent Price movies. Again featuring an all-star cast, Price's Dr. Anton Fibes sets out to kill all the members of the medical team that he blames for the death of his wife four years earlier. In the sequel, Dr. Fibes does indeed rise again as he travels to Egypt in the quest to seek eternal youth. What 
lovely music for a murder or two or three or nine. Who's this? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet a dear friend. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Your wife no fibes. But you I will kill. But you can't, Doctor. I am already dead. Here, how are we going to get him off this? You take his head and I'll take his feet. Let's unscrew him. Dr. Vibes, who samples the finer things of life. In his own inimitable way. And experiments with fascinating instruments of death. The what, sir? The guitar. The time curses visited upon the pharaohs before Exodus. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. Uh, curse of boils, of bats. Frogs? Frogs, yes. And the curse of blood. Curse of hail in the bloody middle of nowhere. Probably the most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Following the Dr. Fibes movies, Price appeared in tonight's review, Theatre of Blood. But more on that in just a while. Ladies and gentlemen, for the next few moments, you will be witnessing scenes from a new motion picture starring Vincent Price, master of the macabre. To those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say... Welcome to the Madhouse. Nineteen seventy four would see Price appear in the Amicus production Madhouse, again featuring Peter Cushing. The movie revolves around legendary horror movie actor Paul Toombs, famous for playing the character called Doctor Death. Toombs suffers a nervous breakdown before going to England to appear in a TV series. But as the film unfolds, we witness the deaths of various members of the cast and crew who meet their ends in remarkably similar ways to characters that appeared in Toombs's old movies. Perhaps it was inevitable. For years, this man has played the role of Dr. Death. For years, he has pretended to be a hideous, murdering monster. No! Now, at last, he has actually become one. American International presents Vincent Price in Madhouse, where lunacy lives. All I ever got was a stake through the heart. Tonight, I would like you to meet my next victim. 
Fear lurks. Evil walks. And death waits. Death is the name of a doctor you've met. Stop it! Madhouse, a cinematic shock treatment. Guaranteed to scare you out of your mind. No one ever leaves Madhouse. Comedy next with 1974's Percy's Progress. Also starring Harold Steptoe himself, Harry H. Corbett, it tells the continuing story of Percy, well known in England as the well-endowed recipient of the world's first penis transplant. If I were to tell you that the gist of the story is that a chemical is accidentally released into the world's water supply and it renders all men impotent. If I were to tell you that Percy is unaware that he's the only man on earth who can achieve an erection because he was hiding from the police at sea drinking nothing but champagne, well, you'll instantly realise that this is 1974, it's a British production, and it is helmed by the director of the Carry On Movies. An all-star cast once again, including Denham Elliott, Barry Humphreys, James Booth, Milo O'Shea, Ronald Fraser, and even Bernard Lee. Vincent Price appears here as Mr Stavos Mamonian. every country in the world, except here. We could tell you precisely why the progress of this one man is so vital to the whole of man and womankind. This has just arrived, Prime Minister, from the Admiralty. What, what just arrived? Percy's progress. This is a matter for the United Nations. But here, we can only hint what Percy's progress is all about. This is still a free country. Of course it's a free country. Ah, but this is a U trailer for an X film. His name's Percy Edward Anthony. Oh, that Percy. Due to the pollution of domestic water supplies, the entire male population of the world, except me, is impotent. I can't spell it out any clearer, lad. I'll be bewildered. And frequently. You see, Percy is different. You're next, Dolores. If you saw the first Percy picture, it'll save a lengthy discussion. Percy, a little bit of privacy. Imagine what it's like. All those gorgeous girls crying out for something we can't mention. That is the point of this exercise, isn't it? Percy's progress is studied with stars. I mean, he's too cocksure by heart. He's feeling stronger every day. I'm Once again. The top of the milk, you is purse. <gasps> Welcome. <laughs> for every wholesome Australian housewife. Then I say... Good morning, Hilda. Good morning, Fred. Male and female, of course. Bucks and does, Doctor. Congratulations. All right, lads, and you get it. What the fuck? found a man who can... What? A dirty, rotten, filthy... Lucky smile. 
course they wouldn't let me in, so I shinned up the drain cart. But I'm 20 floors up, Maureen. Oh, love will find a way. If you saw the first Percy picture, you'll know what Percy does best. Now he's got the field to himself. Percy, you're doing it for England. I'll try, Prime Minister. I'll try to rise to the occasion. But unfortunately, this is only a U trailer, and we can't tell you why Percy is up for grabs. That's the question everyone is asking. Who is going to get the hands on Percy? The last three movies that Vincent Price made in England were The Monster Club, The House of the Long Shadows, and wait for it, Bloodbath at the House of Death. The Monster Club also featured John Carradine, and was the final movie for director Roy Ward Baker, probably most famous for the Italian job. A fictionalised version of author R. Chetwind Hayes, here played by John Carradine, is approached on the city street by a strange man, played by Vincent Price, who turns out to be a starving vampire named Iramus. Iramus bites the writer, and in gratitude for the small donation, takes his basically unharmed but bewildered victim to the titular club, which is a covert gathering place for a multitude of supernatural creatures. In between the club's unique music and dance performances, Iramus introduces three stories about his fellow creatures of the night. No, I'm going to put you up for membership. But I'm not a monster. Nonsense, you're the greatest monster of them all. Uh, oh, Mr. Club Secretary, I want to propose my friend here as a member of this August Assembly. But he's a... He's a human! Yes, but can we truly call this a monster club? If we do not boast amongst our membership a single member of the human race. Nonsense! What can he do? What can he do? In the past 60 years, Humes have exterminated over 150 million of their own kind. No effort has been spared to reach this astronomical figure. And the methods that they have used must demand our unstinted admiration. You know, Humes began with certain very serious disadvantages, but these they overcame with wonderful ingenuity. Not having a fang or a claw, or even a whistle worth talking about, they invented guns and tanks and bombs and aeroplanes and extermination camps and poison gas and daggers and swords and bayonets and booby traps and atomic bombs and flying missiles, submarines, warships, aircraft carriers, and motor cars. They have even perfected a process whereby they can spread a lethal disease on any part of this planet. Not to say anything about nuclear power. <laughs> oh, during their short history, you know, Humes have subjected other Humes to death by burning, hanging, decapitation, strangulation, electrocution, shooting, drowning, crushing, 
racking, disemboweling, <laughs> and other methods far, far too revolting for the delicate stomachs of this August descendant. <laughs> I never realized she was so talented. We don't like to boast. I second the proposal. A member of such a talented race can only be a credit to any monster club. House of the Long Shadows brings together for the only time Price, Cushing, Lee and Carradine in the tale of an American writer who goes to a remote Welsh manor on a $20,000 bet. Can he write a classic novel like Wuthering Heights in 24 hours? Believing the manor to be empty, he soon discovers that a bizarre family reunion is about to commence and the participants soon begin dropping like flies. And you really haven't seen each other since the breakup of the family in 1939? It was considered better that way, Mr Corrigan. I left for America, Sebastian left for Africa, and Victoria stayed here to look after father. His health is not good, Mr Corrigan. The shock of... Well, the war came, you understand, and then with mother's death and Roderick. What happened to Roderick? He died, Mr Corrigan. He was 14 years old and he died. Oh, but we had all died. After he died, his room was sealed. The locked room upstairs. Like all of us, locked in the past forever. A doomed family to whom destiny has denied a future. <clears throat> Hasn't there been enough lying and deceit between these walls? And like Roderick's room, we are sealed in our own guilt. Sebastian, you are drunk. Well, it's one way to deal with a problem of conscience, don't you think? Yours late, I feel. You're quite right, sir. And I've got a lot of work to do before the morning. Great meal, ma'am. Thank you. But surely you're not staying. Sure. But it will soon be midnight. I thought after you'd eaten your dinner, you... Why? What happens at midnight? What happens at midnight? Uh, now, just a minute. Something tells me that this isn't exactly a family reunion. Oh, I assure you. You can assure me of nothing. And I demand to know why you are all so anxious that we leave here before midnight. Very well. Then I shall have to send for the police. No, there. please, I beg of you. Mr. Corrigan. Tell him, Lionel. Tell him the truth. Mr. Corrigan, this is a family matter. It does not concern you. But the use of these premises does concern me, Mr. Crisbane, so I suggest you take your family matter elsewhere. Or I shall have you removed by force. How dare you, sir? From our own home, from the house of our ancestry. And the property on which you are trespassing. But we can't leave. We mustn't. Mr. Corrigan, you do not understand. Roderick! Roderick! He's still alive! He brought dishonor upon this household, sir. Unforgivable dishonor. He had to be punished. The door! The locked door! Upstairs! We thought we heard someone inside the room.
Good God. Oh, no. No, you mustn't go up there. You must not go up there. fantastically titled Bloodbath at the House of Death was a British horror spoof conceived as a star vehicle for the then popular TV comedian and DJ Kenny Everett. Everett plays an occult scientist whose team of paranormal researchers are measuring psychic disturbances at a rural English estate called Headstone Manor. Once the site of a bloody massacre, the house is haunted by the very real presence of a moronic devil-worshipping coven and their exasperated leader, the Sinister Man, played by Vincent Price. Why did you do that? I always do. It has served its purpose, my dear, and is of no further use. I think it's stupid. You think it is stupid? You say that to me, the arch-disciple of Lucifer himself? You are but a grain of sand, a mere speck in the cosmos, and you dare to venture an opinion regarding that great design of our master, Diablos Supremus. To think that I, the right hand of Baal's above himself, should be subjected to the opinions of Charles and Hobbledehoys. Bow thy knee if you wish to even speak in my presence. Oh, piss off. Piss off. For 700 years, I have served our master faithfully, enduring the agonies of the undead, the tortures of eternal servitude, obeying his every command, anticipating his every whim, his slave, his servant, never diverting from his purpose, devoted to that cause to which I have surrendered my mortality, condemning myself to everlasting torment in the presence of that great cause to which we, the undead, have all sworn our allegiance. I, a humble butcher, was chosen to lead us and have faithfully discharged my duties in his service for all of the centuries that we have dwelt in this place. And you tell me to piss off? You piss off. The inept Satanists are determined to prevent the so-called psychic experts from completing their task. Despite a few clever gags and some very funny asides from the mugging price at his hammiest here, viewers expecting a Monty Python-style satire of horror films were very disappointed, and the movie appears to have almost vanished without a trace. And so, let's go back about ten years from that movie to tonight's review. The darkly comic and sometimes quite gory theatre of blood... The movie has Vincent Price written all over it and he brilliantly capitalises on his reputation as a master of period horror drawn from literary sources. Price portrays Shakespearean actor Edward Lionheart who becomes enraged after losing a prominent acting award and decides to seek revenge on the critics responsible. Fittingly, using the works of the Bard as a guide, basing his killings on violent scenes from Shakespearean plays, Price takes full advantage of his meaty role, ominously reciting classic Elizabethan monologues while rigging particularly nasty torture devices. This hilarious turn is assisted by a colourful supporting cast, 
including Robert Morley, Richard Coote and Michael Horden as the critics, and Diana Rigg as Lionheart's devoted daughter and partner in crime. The end result is a wonderfully evil caper that in its own way proves surprisingly faithful to the often bloody spirit of Shakespeare. Certainly the full implication of Shylock's demand for a pound of flesh have rarely been made quite as explicit. Throw in Harry Andrews, Dennis Price and Jack Hawkins in one of his final roles and you have a truly dark, twisted, hilarious piece of Halloween hokum. And let's not forget dear old Arthur Lowe, whose death for me is one of the highlights of the movie. And so, for God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the death of kings. How some have been deposed, some slain in war, some haunted by the ghosts they have deposed, some poisoned by their wives, some sleeping killed. All murdered, for within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king, abandon all remorse on horror's head, horrors accumulate. Sit back, relax, and we will bring you tonight's movie, Vincent Price and the Theatre of Blood.
Theatre of Blood, released in the USA, 5th of April 1973. Again, always a bit annoying on IMDb where you get the USA release date, so it's got to be around about the same sort of time in the UK. Directed by Douglas Hickox, starring, as we said, Vincent Price and Diana Rigg. Take a deep breath. Also in this movie, Ian Hendry, Harry Andrews, Coral Brown, Robert Coote, Jack Hawkins, Michael Horden, Arthur Lowe, Robert Morley, Dennis Price, Milo O'Shea, Eric Sykes, Madeline Smith, Diana Dawes. And there's more. There are more than that. But that's there, there are more, yeah. I mean, that, that cast list is... For, for people who are British particularly, uh, they will sit there and virtually every member of that cast, they will mm. recognise them from something else yes. of, of iconic nature within um, British television or film. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as you say, Vincent Price obviously is, you know, international um, sort of legendary actor. Diana Rigg, people know from The Avengers um, particularly, but more recently people, you know, people internationally will know her from... Um, Game of Thrones. Yeah, or um, James and Bond. And that kind of thing, mm, yeah. yeah. So, um, and you've got, you know, like you say, some of the others. I mean, Jack Hawkins, well-known from, from cinema for, for decades. Yeah. And some fantastic films in his repertoire, which we'll be covering at, at some point in the coming oh, years. Definitely. Um, um, yeah. Um, Michael well, Horden, you know, the voice of Paddington. Um, <laughs> you're not taking the, not the, the word one, out. the actual TV series, but also, you know, Pompeii and all sorts of things oh, like that. God, Just, yeah. Classic, you know, sort of looking at him. Arthur again, you know, Dad's Army. Army for a start off. I mean, you know, Tony would be loving looking at all of this. Yeah. For all, the, all, the, all the talent that he recognises from the, the only thing, sitcoms and stuff. The only thing with Tony, he's not a horror fan, which is why I've sort of picked this to discuss mm. with you, because if I remember a lot of conversation I've had with Tony previously, it's he it just doesn't get horror. He doesn't understand why people like horror. Well, and I don't think he's got any horror films that he particularly enjoys. Um, it's just one of those genres that he avoids. So yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a horror fan. This is a conversation you used to have all the time on on mm. Misunderstanding. That, um, but that was because most horror now is the the blood and guts and gore. It's, it's the gore films rather than actual horrors that are, are building suspense and having having what is traditionally the horror elements. If you yeah. go back to that kind of horror, yes, I like it. It, it is the sort of more you know the, the saws and and all that kind of stuff, which I just find turn me off completely and don't interest me. But the, you know this style of, of of horror, which I consider to be more pure horror tag, yes, absolutely, it's something that I can sit and watch and be interested in. So I, I don't know whether Tony can make the differentiation already or not, but he certainly would enjoy spotting the cast list in oh, this. So, definitely. I um, mean, the tags on, on IMDb, actually, horror is the third one. It actually says comedy, drama, horror. I, I think horror in this particular movie does take a back seat. It's it's definitely camp, it's definitely tongue-in-cheek, and it's definitely over the top. Interesting you mentioned Saw, because I was thinking while I was watching this that we don't have anything like this type of movie nowadays at all you know we, you know sometimes you get a big movie with like a lot of you know famous faces in it on like the most recent say murder on the orient express or something like that but you saying saw i was thinking yeah do you know what saw or seven where you have these sort of episodic deaths it is probably the closest we're ever going to get nowadays to this movie yeah i think i mean there are other people who who no horror better than me as far as a a, a style of mm. film and i think that 
this passing on to you know through through this and then there's probably you can trace a, a line through to some of the ones that were what did lead into like Friday the 13th and things where you've got the 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 serialic mm. murders yeah. and you actually see the murderer doing it rather than it's been uh, from the the police's side trying to catch a serial killer yeah um you've you've got that kind of thing that which led into saw and and such like but this kind of thing as you say with the, the you know the the cast and also making it out to be horror in this sense no you don't i don't think you you do really have much of that these days um the, it'd have to be a lot more gritty because you know this was fairly camp and i mean you maybe at the time maybe at the time it's viewed in a different way which is why horror has slipped down the list maybe horror was further it was it was a horror film initially with the other tags after it initially yeah. but now it's now in the modern frame it's seen as being not quite as horror as it was um so maybe you know that might be interesting to see because definitely the poster for the film pushes it as being a a horror um yeah it depends what poster you look at because there's different versions of it and there's there's the definite camp elements, and it looks like everybody had a lot of fun oh, actually yes. filming this, but apparently the reality was quite different because Douglas Hickox was quite a taskmaster. You know, he was very clinical. Um, get the job done, you're all professional actors sort of thing. But can you imagine being on set with... You've got Jack Hawkins and, and Robert Morley and Dennis Price. These people um, might not mean a lot to some of the younger viewers today, but back then... Poor old Jack Hawkins and, and Dennis Price. I think it was probably one of their last movies, you know. So much to the extent that Jack Hawkins... Did you notice he didn't hardly say a word in this? Yes. Um, yes uh, yeah. yeah. I think there was one of the few bits where they were deciding whether to go ahead in the ab- in the first meeting in the absence of the, the first critic that had been killed. Mm. And, um, he, you know, he had an opinion there while... while sucking on a, a cigarette um, yeah. which again is indicative of the time well but, um <laughs> the, that yeah it, it did it was also quite light in dialogue from a number of them in that sense well so. the reason the reason for jack hawkins quite famously um just prior to filming zulu about 10 years previously he developed throat cancer which is what eventually killed him and in this movie i mean he's, he's certainly aged you can see he's, he's, he's quite mm. old in this and he's wearing a cravat throughout the film ah, he's right, got yeah. he's got an electronic voice box and the actual two or three lines that he says in the movie are dubbed over by charles gray as in ah. blowfield bonville and james gray or Rocky yeah. Horror. He, yeah oh wow so if you go back and have a little look at the actual yeah. two or three lines that he says yeah it's not actually him but wow. they wanted somebody of this magnitude in this movie and, and thankfully there he was you know jack hawkins Quite a difference. I mean, we we reviewed League of Gentlemen a few episodes back yes. when yeah, he was yeah. at his prime, you know. But then you go into some of the biblical epics or the you know Zulu and things like that. As he was, you know, he was a bloody great British star. Absolutely, he, he, he was. I mean, one of the future films I'm hoping we are going to cover at mm. some point is um, is what is one that I didn't know about until the other year, which was um, The Long Arm. Um, yeah, which you know it's 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 a just you know it's a great film, mm. um, little known I think, and he, he's you know shows shows his his ability to carry a film and his ability to act and and his presence and stuff in in that film. So um, yeah, maybe a, an actor that has been forgotten and overlooked um, quite easily, um, but 
yeah, I didn't know all that trivia about the mm. um, about his his voice box and the dubbing of his voice. Yeah, it, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, um, but wow, really, that's it's, yeah. It's one of the things I was looking out for because we reviewed Zulu twice now on the Stinking Paws, and and Charlie mentioned, oh my god, his voice is like really gravelly in this. And I told him the story that you know it was literally that year or the year before he filmed Zulu that he first developed the cancer, and it took ten years to kill him. But in the meantime, they actually revo- removed his vocal cords and one, one of those electronic, you know, little voice box things. Yeah. Um, and, and they got Charles Gray to, to dub his voice over for this because he wanted to appear in it. Because, to be honest, who wouldn't want to appear in a film that's got all these people in it? Well, I know. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I'm a bit surprised that it took them as long as it did for them to actually discover who was doing all the killings. Cause they've got, um, <laughs> they've got, they've got Miss Marple in there, haven't they? Really? <laughs> Joe um, Gixson's jo- in Nixon. it. Of course I forgot. Uh, yeah. I thought, she, I thought she would have been able to tug it out straight away, you know, with all her, uh, Agatha Christie oh, but then, uh, history. But, but yeah. um, but then yeah, again, I mean, one of the coppers it, is Eric Sykes. So, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was an amazing thing. Just, you're just thinking what they're going to do with Eric Sykes. Are they going to allow him to, sort of breathe a, a bit of comic relief mm. or are they just going to smatter him in there just as a as a background character and it, you know i think they used him in, entirely rightly yes um because it could have it could have taken away from the rest of it if they if they're giving him more uh leeway i think as, as to actually um play it up um, it's, a, it's a good so. combination because this was about the same year that the the colour TV Sykes show, you know, was first broadcast with Hattie Jakes, even though he'd been on mm. TV for 10, 15 years previously. Yeah. Uh, also, it's right smack bang in the middle of the Dad's Army run. You know, that started three, four years previously and went on for another three or four years. So you've got Arthur Lowe there. So you've got a real combination of 50s British movie stars, Dennis Price, you know, from the Ealing comedies. Robert Morley was in The African Queen, for God's sake. Um, and Michael Horton, just, you know, that's the sort of movie he was doing in the 70s before he did lots and lots of voiceovers. It's just incredible. Harry Andrews, you know, he carried on acting for another 10, 15 years. And Madeline Smith, who, who just appeared in absolutely everything that was British. Oh, and did, yeah. <laughs> I mean, carry on stuff, and I think... Wasn't she in in step uh, an episode of Step Two and I think uh, lots of uh, two Ronnie's ep- stuff. She was um, yeah. the Up Pompeii movie. She was in you yeah. mentioning Up Pompeii earlier. Um, and, yeah, and, and Diana Dawes. Um, you know, fifties blonde bombshell turn, yes. turning into the Diana Dawes that I think most people remember, which is the seventies Diana Dawes rather than the fifties serious actress stroke Marilyn Monroe, Britain's answer to. Yeah. Um, I remember Diana Dawes as, as as this era, to be honest. I I do as well. This is you know obviously at the time at which when we were younger and we were first you know seeing film and television that was stuff that was the more recent and it was obviously her appearing as she is in this where she's you know she's a bit older and a bit more rounded. Yeah. Um, still a beautiful woman. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. It it, it wasn't the original blonde bombshell <laughs> from the yeah. 50s that was you know this starlet in that yeah. way it was um it, it was this... more the the mature um version of her yeah um so um it was did you did you did you manage to um spot the uh the nip slip 
<laughs> Dear listener, Stephen sent me a text yesterday before I watched the film saying, look closely, Diana adores his nipple or something like that. And, and I'm sitting there looking at this text thinking, okay, you've been on four shows now. Is this is this where it's really going to? I'd, I'd expect it if it was a carry-on or a confessions movie. But, you know, the schoolboy, you know, sniggering behind the hand thing has obviously come to the fore with you, Stephen. So, uh, yes, I did, well, actually, because I, I was actually I looking out yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I thought. I thought. You probably wouldn't. You, there's a good chance that nobody will ever, you know, would ever notice it. But um, for some reason, I just, I just went. I'm sure I saw, and I didn't even, I haven't, I didn't even bother going back to check. No, nor but did I. I thought, but... well, I'll mention it to you, and then you can check for me. It was there. It was, just, it yeah. was um, yeah, the brief. Mm. Yeah, just very brief. But um, no, I mean, as I say, as an actress, um, it's easy to forget what place she has in the history of. British cinema. Oh, God. Um, to the night. The 50s and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, she definitely merits a, a, a re-examination by people and, and, and us at some point in the future, I would say, because of, of her iconic status in that sense. But she's, she's as deserving to be in this cast list as your Jack Hawkins and your Harry Andrews because films like Yield to the Night is, is a great... I think she may have won a BAFTA for it. You know, it's a real serious thing. It's sort of based on the Ruth Ellis story where she plays a yes. woman in prison sentenced to die. Um, but then at the same time, she did the cheesecakey stuff and she was seen as like a Britain's rival to, to Marilyn. You know, at one point, I think she was having an affair with Rod Steiger and all these major Hollywood actors. And it's a fascinating story. I've got her biography upstairs called, I think it's called Come By Sunday. And and it's a fascinating life story, the Diana Dawes story. And yes, I would like to go back and, and look at A Kid for Two Farthings or Yield to the Night or some of those early, sort of more dramatic or the early comedy stuff that she did in the 50s, mate. Yeah, definitely. So the actual film itself, though, yeah, well, just, the, just the cast list, we should probably um, do a bit of a review of the actual I film. I think so, yeah. Um, Although I, I'd like us to be careful mm. about um, about how we do um, talk about the film, because obviously taking into account the grisly fate of the critics in the film, <laughs> um, I think we need to bear that in mind and make sure we don't set ourselves up for any future um, murderous end. Well, well being hand, critics, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, to be honest, the the manner that they're all, these they're all dead, I think, everybody. I think <laughs> I, I don't films. think anybody is still alive, are they? Um, looking down that list, Madeline Smith is about the only one, I think, and Diana Rigg. Mm. Um, but to be honest, that the manner in which all these critics are bumped off is is overblown. It's extravagant. It's 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 Shakespearean. It's it's very, it's very theatrical and flouncing, um, which is very in keeping with the theme. Absolutely, I agree. Mm, um, yeah. For those that don't know, I mean, uh, the basis of the story is that Vincent Price is this hammy Shakespearean actor, basically, and he's he's put on this season of Shakespeare plays over the years, and each one of these eight or nine critics has panned his performance not necessarily the play but just specifically his performance in each of these productions and, he and fa- he's kept he's kept clippings of each of those yeah. in a big massive scrapbook a massive <laughs> scrapbook you know it's just it's the size of a, of a child it is a very huge tone yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> and he's been sort of plotting his revenge and faking his own death almost to to get his own back on these these guys that have done him wrong and 
he does it in the way that he knows best is that each one of these critics is going to be dispatched in the manner of a death from a Shakespeare play. Yeah. Now, you've read a fair old bit of Shakespeare in your time, so have I. Some pieces, yeah. Bits and pieces. There's lots of beheadings, lots of lots of sword fights and things like that. But what the writer has done here, they've very cleverly taken some of the more creative deaths that Shakespeare had written about and then actually sort of twisted them about a little bit to make them even more creative, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, just taking out, you know, like the pound of flesh. Yeah. Um, which, you know, taking then somebody's heart out of their body, which, you know, equates mm. to, a, a, you know, a, a pound. Yeah. Um, that that sort of um, creativity, as you said, that with the the deaths from Shakespeare that you can pull out, I think that was very clever, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, the, the more creative ones, I think, were, I can't, is it Othello, where the Queen eats a pie that's got her children in it? Yes, so what they've very cleverly done is Robert Morley, mm. who hasn't got children, but he dopes on these two little tiny poodles there that, that basically are his children. Um, mm. He gets served them in a pie. Or Coral Brown's death is a recreation of the death of Joan of Arc. And rather than set her on fire, they put her feet in a bowl of water and plug her into a hairdryer. You know, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is it just is perfectly fitting for the tone of this movie because i think the horror part of it it, it is quite it's not gory there's a lot of blood there is a lot of blood in this there's a lot of blood but again like we said um uh, previously the 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 blood is very much dulux paint kensington gore isn't it yeah yeah it, it, it's unfortunate that it, at that point they still hadn't crack, managed to crack how to make blood look like blood <laughs> but still but it's, it's perfectly fitting in the tone of the whole movie. It doesn't take itself seriously. No, it can't, no, it can't can it? Um, as, as you said, if anybody that can't see through Vincent Price's disguises... I mean, at one point, I think, are we supposed to believe that the disguise that Diana Rigg goes through the whole movie in as this guy looks like a very young <laughs> Jeff Lynne from ELO? Yeah. And then reveals herself at the end. Is like... Well, I think we sort of sussed that was Diana Rigg within 30 seconds of actually seeing her. Yeah, uh, the, the, only one that, the only one I didn't see through um, straight away yeah. um, with Vincent Price was mm. the in the very first um, death scene, yeah. as it were, the very, very first setup, the, the policeman. I didn't, I was too busy, like, that was quite getting, clever. Used, getting used to who they were. Yeah. And so that, that was... That was less transparent. But, yeah, in the shadows um, a wee bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, that's perhaps meant, to, you know, whether it's actually just the the, the quality of, of the film in that sense and um, the the type of film it was, but it's, it's obviously meant to be, um, as far as the story goes, it's meant to be this, this guy, Vincent Price's character, Showing what a, a master of disguise and, and, and his acting is. <laughs> a master yeah, of disguise. That, that, that even even the, even the critics right up close to him can't tell it's him True. because he's such he's such a good actor, despite yeah. what they say, that he can fool them uh, into thinking that he, he is this camp hairdresser <laughs> um, or, the, or the chef, which is you know I, I can't see the disguise apart from having a chef's hat on. I really can't see the disguise no, in the chef's bit. No. But um, but yeah. <laughs> That's obviously meant to be the implication that he's he's showing that he is such a, a good actor that he can fool them up close 
Um, and he's not just limited to his Shakespeare. And he is a, you know, a more versatile and, and um, talented actor than they portrayed him as. But yeah. um, it's ha- actually seeing him doing those roles. Yes, it shows Vincent Price can have a bit more range in his his acting. But yeah. I don't think I don't think it shows that the character is a master of disguise. Really, <laughs> Vincent and, Price and, said it was his favourite movie, and I think that's probably why because it gives him this this whole option to spread his wings a little bit. You know. Well, I was I was wondering whether he, he saw a bit of himself in the title character, in that he was a, he was an actor that was very much um, stereotyped as, and and his performances were um, were mocked in a way or, t- or said to be tongue in cheek and stuff, and he felt he was he was more than that. So I don't know whether he actually felt. It's mentioned in his daughter's um, biography of him. Um... Before the mid fifties, where he started doing the Fly, House of Wax, Fall of the House of Usher, you know those sort of films that we know him for. Yeah, he was massive within the film noirs. You know, he was the almost the posh sort of heavy in a lot of them, like Laura with Gene Tierney, I believe he's in. You know, there's a lot of these old thirties, well forties, say movies that he originally started, and he was quite quite renowned for because it gives some bloody great performances in those but then when he hits the mid 50s and the b movies which is to be honest what everybody remembers him for they don't remember that film noir side of things obviously the critics thinking well that's a lesser genre you know that's the schlocky b b movie roger corman type you know thing that isn't as worthy as a hollywood drama that's when he was getting slagged off by the critics. And yeah, he did actually sort of see himself as as the character here, Lionheart. Mm. This this is what I I was I was feeling. Mm. That he, he was he was feeling kinship with the character, that he was he was underrated as an actor, um and and so was the character. Um hopefully he never considered going to such lengths against his <laughs> critics. But um Well to be honest. To be honest, I think that this period of his career is probably his best because he's got to the point in his career where he don't give a damn. He's he's out to enjoy himself. During filming of this, he he, he left his wife and ran off with Coral Brown. You know, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> so he was having more fun than ever during the production of this movie. And I I just think he's 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 done the groundwork in the forties and the fifties. You know, he's he's done his time as a jobbing actor. He's proved he can act. And he's now like, right, let's just have a bit of fun because I've only got 10, 15 years worth left in me of you know acting you know, ability. I may not be top of the bill after this movie. And he probably wasn't. I don't think he did many more movies that, you know, where he was above the title. Um, well, he's, you know, he's got legendary status. He'd, he'd mm. achieved that cult following and, and status that, you know, outlived him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know... If some of the other people that he was maybe in films with that did get higher billing, you know, even back in the fifties, yeah, where well, where did they go to, and what did he go to, and, and so you they know, certainly weren't acting as as long as he was, yeah, no, yeah, and they were, you know, didn't have a, a following like he did, and yeah. didn't, you know, so I, you know, I think maybe all things considered, I think he was, um, he was the winner, yeah, really. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just a great vehicle for him. Um, it just gives him the opportunity to, as you say, to do. You could you could see him as a Shakespearean actor, even though he is hamming it up here. You could see him performing Shakespeare because you know that yeah. guy can act. You know? Yeah, it's 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 camp and fun and silly, 
as a film. But yeah, I mean, his you know his voice for a start off just lends itself to the delivery to what is considered to be Shakespeare um, Shakespearean. Um, although probably true Shakespeare at the time was probably people with sounded like real Winston. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, on stage, true. you know, it was, it was the common man. It wasn't yeah. sort of the received pronunciation. But um, yeah, I mean, this this gives him rain to just do what he wants to do and just really throw himself into it with a plum yeah. and, and just enjoy it and and ham it up. I can see you the know, others doing it as well, it's, though. It's, yeah, you know, it's it. I mean, this you know, this isn't a hammer horror, but it's definitely a hammy horror. Yeah, definitely, there you go. Put that on the poster. It's no <laughs> hammer, it's hammy. Um, yeah. Harry Andrews, you could see him laughing all the way through it. You know, being asked to wear this horrible wig, and mm. and, and same as Robert Morley. You know, they're thinking, you know, yeah, Robert Morley. I was I was in the African Queen with Humphrey Bogart. Soddy, I'm going to have a great time here with this. You know. You can imagine these guys in the pub at lunchtime or after filming as wrapped all, all, all outdoing each other with great stories of Hollywood or the British film industry. And oh, oh yeah, yeah, dear boy, when I work with yeah, them, eh? when I work with Larry and Johnny Gilgood and all the you know, could, you could you could just imagine it, couldn't you? But as I say, I, I, I read somewhere or saw something on a documentary that the director was a bit of a taskmaster, um, and it wasn't a massively enjoyable performance uh, production for a lot of them. Um, Incredibly, again, and I'm just sort of trying to pick up on some trivia that I've picked up on over the last couple of days. There was no filming in any studio whatsoever. This is all on location. Every single interior is a real building. Um, yeah, I was looking to try and work out when which building it was by the Thames that overlooked. Yeah. Um, the the you know it was just down within sight of the the Houses of Parliament, Westminster. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to work out what building it it, it was mm. modern day, and um, you know, sort of street view it to try and work out. Yeah, because it, it did intrigue me. Did that that bit as far as it's quite a this, tall building this, as well, isn't it? From yeah, the, this yeah, this real real locations had mm. not been, and and that's even more surprising that some of the the theatre scenes, the derelict theatres and stuff. I'm yep. surprising they they weren't at least done no, in a, the theater a studio, but no. It was boarded up. The theatre had been boarded up for 20 or 30 years. Uh, they got permission to actually, you know, go into the theatre, and they did actually set it on fire. They actually set the theatre alight, and then it was demolished afterwards. Well, I'm not surprised. There probably wasn't much left to demolish <laughs> after it. But, uh, Madeline Smith said in an interview that she was heartbroken because it was this lovely... Victorian theatre, and and they just got permission to to demolish it, to ruin it. Basically, they set it on fire for real. And she said we were running through, the, you know, that theatre, and there was bits of plaster burning and falling on our heads and stuff. Like no health and safety back then at all. Literally brought the house down. Yeah, well done, you. It's, um, it's as I say, it's it, it's yeah, you know, it, it was the real locate, you know, real yeah. locations, which. Um, you know that coupled with the the, the sort of campy, overblown um, acting and and things, um, but the real locations it, it tied tied in with what the film was. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very much in keeping with the the theme of it being a, a Shakespearean actor that feels underappreciated because he's so wrapped up in in Shakespeare and, and thinks that is the be all and end all. And and to the extent where his daughter is not uh, indoctrinated into being able to play back scenes with him 
and herself being an accomplice to all these acts because of the fact that she so so much believes this idea that he is the greatest actor and yeah. that the themes of Shakespeare, the lines that are repeated. It's uh, that, that gap between reality and, and theatre, and it's I think it's illustrated by using using the actual um, genuine real locations. So yeah. the, the, I think they've done the right thing there. Yeah. Do, do you think they could make something in this vein nowadays with this all-star cast, I mean, and get away with it being so tongue-in-cheek? I don't think this sort of genre, this this horror comedy genre would work with today's audiences. It would have to either be a, a, a gore fest or... Yeah, I'm, I've, I think if you, if you went back... If you went back twenty years mm-hmm. or more, yep. you might be able to get away with with doing it with like um, Rick Mail and Ed Edmondson, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, if it, if it was done now, I feel that you'd have to. The only people who could get away with doing it, and it'd be done, um, it'd be done differently. I mm-hmm. think would be the um, like Reece Shearsmith and stuff, the the legal gentleman, the inside number nine. Good job um, you said guys. that. They do uh, they, they do the they, audio commentary they, they, on the DVD. Yeah. Mm. So the, well, there you go then. That's so. I mean, you know, there's one of their episodes of Inside Number Nine that does re, you know sort of tie in and remind me a bit of this. Oh, All right. Mm. It's um it's an episode where somebody actually did is killed via um a, um a televised play sort of thing, and mm. that's a uh, um. But yeah, I think that that's the way it could only be done. I don't think it could be done in this sense that it's been done here, where it's an all-star cast and the 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 camping it up, and um, it's that blurred line. But the way that they're doing comedy and horror together is entirely different, really. Now, how it's done in the mainstream comedy and horror put together, yeah. it is the it is the sort of scream and and such like where it's the parody this and I, I don't feel this was done as a parody this was done and it is its own thing there's some genuine love i think yeah. for the subject matter from all involved um possibly a few of them were quite grateful to be getting a gig so late in their career as well um if it were done today i think the laughs would be gained from the gore where it would be so over the top, you know, it would be a head exploding at a most unexpected moment, but you'd laugh and be repulsed at the same time, you know, something like that. It's it's of its time, it's of its age, and it it certainly fits in perfectly. Where, again, Madeline Smith in this interview that I saw on the on the Blu-ray today, she said it was the end of an era. You know, around this time, Hammer Horror was winding down. You know, they were they were trying things to get in with the kids, like Dracula AD seventy two and things that weren't working. Mm. Yeah, the ca- yeah, yeah. The Carry On films were just, just on the ebb. You know, they were just at the on their last legs. She said, and even things like um, the cinemas, all the big Odeon cinemas, where they were just one massive screen, were desperately trying to get people in. So they were splitting all the cinemas up into you know three screens, almost like little mini multiplexes. But TV yeah. was king. Television was king at this time, and nobody was going to the cinema. Um, and it's it's a great little little insight into 1973 of you know it's just this it's it's a classic horror i still think it falls under the term classic horror um and certainly you can look at your exorcists and your alien and things that were in the 70s this is this is a brilliant 70s horror film it's it's up there with all of those but for a different reason 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. It, 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 like you said, it's something that couldn't be repeated um, uh, much after this period when it was done. Mm. It, it was, it was capturing this at the very tail end of, uh, you know, otherwise this wouldn't have stood as a film um, even to be made, never mind to actually be uh, watched and appreciated. Yeah. Um, if it had been done even, even sort of, Five years later, that would have been far too late, I think. Yeah. It was that as cusp as, as, as Madeline said. Mm. Um, so I think that's very, very right to point that out. This film, although to some extent has its tongue in its cheek, it is a product of, of its time. Yeah, if it was made a year later, it would have been it would have been laughable, whereas it's, 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 we laugh with it now because it was just right. It was just the perfect time to make this movie. In your unique style of reviewing and criticism and recommendations and ratings how would you recommend this to other people mate my, my review of it is really encapsulated uh, in in the very last line of the film uh, yeah. by, by the surviving <laughs> critic which says uh, a fascinating performance but madly overacted as usual um, <laughs> and 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 i think it, it is very much it, that does encapsulate it entirely it's it is it does have its place in the history of british cinema yes it's um i think it's something that people should be aware of i think that um people should keep an eye out for it and you know very few people i think i would recommend go out the way to go and see it at the cinema or, or anything but um you know do be aware that if if it's coming up on on television or, or it's on on um sort of a streaming service then um give it a go because it's it's got its place yeah in, in the history of cinema and it's actually interesting to see what came after and where, what had led up to to that point of this being made yep. as far as hi- cinema history and i think it's it's got that that count that point in in history that needs to be recognized and worth it's worth seeing for that i think yeah as well as, well as been great fun to just watch the overblown performances oh, which are just God, yeah just uh it's just <laughs> in a lot of ways just incredibly silly and you've just got to sit back with your smile on your face and just take it in as just been just been daft really I th- yeah i um, think with you saying about people seeking it out with this being the Halloween season, a lot of people, you know, around this time of year will sit and watch a few movies and have a horror night or, you know, watch two or three on Halloween itself. If you're looking for a bit of light relief in between the slashers that you're going to be watching this Halloween, I would say put this on, you know, amongst yeah, your friends. I think this, your... this, is, this, is, this is a horror film for people who aren't horror fans. Yeah. It's, that, it's not the gory. Sense, in the modern sense of, but, of horror. Yeah. yeah. It, so I think this is one that people I know, and, and Tony might be one of them. I think uh, he would say, like you say said, that yeah. I think he, he should maybe give it a go. I think he'd be surprised that it was more enjoyable than, than he would expect a horror film to be. He would be looking so, at the cast as well, as you say, because yeah. the, the stars that are in this. It's it's a great film. It's, it's, it's very dark. It's very clever. It's very imaginative, very creative. It's almost a slasher movie. It's just this camp slasher movie almost that that predates Seven and Saw. I can't recommend it highly enough. I gave it four stars on Letterboxd. And looking back, I only watched it about two years ago, which I didn't realise. That's how often I've been seeing this movie. So it's it's one I turn to by the look of things. It's, it's one I've seen quite a few times, more times than I actually remembered. So 
just as enjoyable this time round as it has been previously. And, and I'd recommend it to pretty much anybody that... Also, from a historical point of view, when you look at the, the, the people that are in it as well, you know, there's, there's Eric Sykes, like we say, that you don't see in many movies. He was more a TV comedian. Arthur Lowe, you know, those sort of guys. It's, capture, it's capturing the... Well, well, with Jack Hawkins, it's literally um, doing so, but it's mm. capture, capturing the last gasp of some of this, <laughs> yeah, this, this talent right. of, of British actors and actresses yeah. um, that were soon to be gone or, or no longer acting. Yep. Um, and so it, it's sort of a, a nice swan song for some of them. That oh, they're, so. they're in something that, that can be still looked back on and, in, and enjoyed. Definitely, yeah, I think so. Okay, that's Theatre of Blood from 1973. We're going to take a very short break and we're going to be back with what we're watching next time. Okay, what we're watching next time is down to your good self, my friend. It's your selection. Um... I'm taking it. It's going to be a little bit too early for our Christmas movie. So, what have you got planned for us? Yeah, too early for Christmas. So, we're going to try and fit a, a couple of extra ones in. Yeah. Um, it's a. It is a film actually set in the seventies. So, we're not moving too far away in, in that time period um, from um, what we've just watched. But it's definitely a different um, culture and um, part of part of the country. Yeah. It's actually a film that's that actually was made in nineteen ninety nine. Um, and it's a it's a comedy and it's Ooh. a drama. And as I say, a different type of people to what we've just watched. Um, so um, what I'm going to suggest that we watch is East is East. Do you know what? I don't think I've actually seen it. I've seen parts of it. Right. I, no, I've never actually seen it all the way through. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, a bit of a different spin on things. I said, you know, still the 70s, but um, very much a different yeah. view on the 70s. Same way as we said, you know, the difference between the theatre of blood and the the film critics in there and the, the, what was happening more or less the same time up in 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 yorkshire for kez yeah um that you know it's same time time frame but completely different worlds different and, cultures um, and, and yeah. obviously this, this again is a completely different world and um you know as i say actually made in 1999 in a way so um it's so, our, our most recent review. Different. It's our most recent yeah. movie. I think this is the most up to date we're gonna we're gonna actually get so far. Definitely looking forward to that because I it's 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 one that I've never seen, so I'm I'm intrigued because I know it's got a very good reputation. I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be fairly good if you're bringing it to the table. I don't think you'd bring crap for us to watch, to be honest. So, <laughs> well, so far, so far I'm, you've done all right. So yeah, you know, your batting average is okay. You know, I may drop a clanger occasionally, <laughs> but so far I think we're doing all right. No, I'm trusting um, your judgment, yes. mate. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that'll be uh, one that people have got. Um, you know, can put in their their diaries to uh, for the next film coming up for us to be uh, reviewing. And um, well, that's the know, thing. If um, if people want to throw, feedback. yeah, people want to throw in any feedback and comments or whatever, please do. We've been getting some great feedback, as we said earlier, about Excalibur and some of the other episodes. So it's always nice to know that there's people out there. If you want to listen to other episodes, it's our website, realbritannia.libsyn.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spreaker, anywhere you get your podcast. Just just type in Real Britannia and we'll be there. Follow us on Twitter at Pod. 
emails. If you want to send an email or even an MP3, it's realbitania at gmail.com. And there's a Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash pod. I think that's everything. Carrier pigeons to the usual address, you know, however you want to get in touch. We don't care. We'll, we'll, we'll chat to anybody. That's, that's the, uh, <laughs> the stinking boar's motto. <laughs> answers, answers on a postcard, as they used to yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, my friend, thank you very much for being part of the Halloween episode. It's my pleasure. And I'm looking forward to East Disease. I'll see you next time. Take care. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.